Welcome to Power Yourself, where we discuss the most important topic in the world, you. You open the doors to a huge auditorium. The place is packed. There must be 500 people. There, you can hear people milling about, murmuring to each other. There's a low hum in the air. There's an energy. They're waiting for something. You walk up to the podium. 500 people turn and look right at you. You're ready to deliver the greatest speech, the biggest sales pitch, the biggest presentation of your life. And on that note, we're going to jump into what is often a huge fear for people, public speaking. So we're really going to drill down on this fear in this episode. And with me is my fellow public speaker, Jillian Power. How's it going? It's going awesome. How about you, Carl? Pretty good. Now, we're in a studio by ourselves. There's only the two of us. So we. it's interesting because I feel like it's a somewhat intimate setting, but we are, in fact, public speaking right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess while we talk, sometimes I lose that because I feel like it is just me and you talking, forgetting that other people are sometimes listening to this. Sure. It can be, I think, very stressful seeing other people standing there looking at you, silently judging you. It can be an unfair process as well, especially if there's technical difficulties. Maybe you're following another speaker that wasn't very good if you're on the dais and this other guy just laid a big egg and now you have to go up there and speak after them. There's a lot of challenges to public speaking. Uh, why is public speaking so scary for a lot of people? So public speaking can be, I would assume, crippling and really scary because that feeling maybe that you're being judged or, you know, you're being vulnerable and putting yourself out there in front of a lot of people. And with that comes the chance of maybe failing and like falling flat on your face in front of people. So that kind of judgment, nervous of how people will take it and hear it and how they will judge you, unfortunately, I feel is a big part of why people might be scared. Yeah, it's interesting when I run into people that are deathly afraid of giving even the smallest presentation. It could be at work or it could be out in a you know, volunteer organization, out in life somewhere. Somebody says, oh my goodness, the last thing I want to do is get up in front of people and talk. And I guess it, you know, that's what we'll try to do in this episode is drill down a bit and find out what those fears are and how we can overcome them. So, you know, some people seem to have an amazing knack for speaking to crowds. So is it charisma? Is it practice? You know, what does it take and how can we overcome our fear to become a great public speaker? That's really the goal of today's episode. It's funny because before I was like somebody who actually got up and talked in front of people, I would have said it's a, it's a talent. You have it or you don't. Sure. <laughs> and so that's funny to me because the new amount of self-growth that kind of I've gone through over the years. Because, yeah, I went from going from thinking, oh, you either have it or you don't. Just like I used to think guitar. Oh, it's you got the talent or you don't. But it's not. I really feel the majority of it. It's about the practice and effort you put into it. I feel anybody, no matter how bad you are, you can actually start and you can make so much progress and be an amazing public speaker if you put the time and energy in it. Yeah, and I love that. I love how, you know, like any 
skill that we learn, whether you're in a woodworking shop or whether you're playing a musical instrument or whether you're getting up in front of people and talking, that takes time, it takes energy, and it's not going to be a success-only journey. There will be times when we do struggle and we butt up against the growth and we have to push through that if we want to be really successful as a public speaker. So how do we how do we even begin this journey? There could be somebody sitting at home today saying, look, I have to give a presentation in a couple of weeks. I'm terrified. I'm physically ill when I think about this. What can I do starting today to help me grapple with this and ultimately get up in front of people and deliver a great speech or a great presentation? Well, Carl, to be honest, you've given me probably most of my uh, my tips are kind of how you can start because you did this exact thing for me. You helped me get over the fear. You helped me learn how kind of I what I need to succeed in that setting. So I think a lot of it, like I'm going to say that again, it's practice. Like it really is repetition, 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 knowing what you're talking about, really taking the time to learn and practice what you're talking. I remember when you told me to, well, just, uh, just say it out loud. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. I know what I'm going to say because I don't know about if anybody listening today has had to public speak and maybe you've ran the speech over in your head before, but you used to tell me practicing the words out loud. And I was like, okay, that's not really going to change it. No, no, I prepared, Carl. I'm good. But then when you talk, it's different. So saying stuff out loud, practicing that, like the words coming out of your mouth. I know that sounds so basic and so like trivial, but it really helps practicing actually delivering it versus having the idea of something in your head. I think that was a huge thing for me. Absolutely. And I, and I love that idea of practicing. Even if you're sitting at home alone, there's nobody around. Maybe that's how you start. You grab a book and you read a passage from the book or you simply just talk out loud about your day. You structure maybe some speaking notes down into, you know, you write them down on your on your notepad. You write down maybe five basic notes about what you did today. Maybe you went to work. Maybe you talk about the best part of your day and the worst part of your day. And you structure it in such a way that when you start talking, you know where the end point is. I think this is one of the biggest fails I think I see in, when I see public, uh, public speakers go up and start talking. They don't know what the end point's going to be. And they tend to start strong. And then they just kind of, you know, like a thread just kind of unravels. And you have this weird flag just kind of flapping out there with no end point. It's not grounded on anything. So I think that's a really important piece is, is going up, knowing what your goal is when you're going to present. And, and the other thing I, I find that you've done a really good job over the, over the years where we've worked together is the idea of adding emotion to what we say when we're going to be speaking. So, you know, think about really great movies that we watch. Think about really great books that we read, great television shows. They're not just facts. A great story is not facts. You know, if I tell you I went to the store and I bought some groceries, well, that's a fact. The story lies in what did I buy? Why did I buy it? That's a big one. What obstacles did I face? Those are the key elements that we, we care about. If I started an anecdote right now and I didn't finish it, 
it would really be annoying. Even though I totally just made it up. There is no ending. It's all a fake story. It would be really annoying. People would be at home going, no, finish the story, even though I'm making it up as I'm going along. And, and you can try this with your friends, and I've done this on occasion. You start a story. You'll be sitting around talking with people, and you start a story, and then I don't get the chance to finish it. And then somebody will come up to me a half hour later and say, I need to know how that ended. I need to know. And it's like, oh, somebody was listening. This is wonderful. So I think we're really hardwired to really enjoy stories in that regard. Yeah, and you're really, you're a great storyteller. <laughs> That's for sure. Like, and it really is. And then something that I kind of didn't see maybe at the first that, about that emotion, but you phrased it to me in a perfect way because you mentioned how like people, if you're telling them kind of how you were feeling, then they can connect. They can kind of buy into that, and then that's how you grab their attention. Another thing I would say that's really important with public speaking and that you kind of helped me get here is, first of all, knowing knowing what you need, I think. And the, you gave me the time and the space to kind of find that. So by this, I mean, here's an example. I could take a story that Carl wrote and get up and deliver it to everybody. I know myself and everybody's different. I cannot do that. I cannot read word for word off a page. That is not setting me up to succeed. I will actually bomb <laughs> and it won't be interesting. So what I need to do, I know how I kind of deliver the best speech, is I write key pieces, key topics that I want to touch on. And I know that material so well that I don't need all of those words. I have three words on a page. So I know how to frame my story or I know what my intent of the story actually is. So for me, that was a huge piece, not kind of trying to follow in everybody's footsteps or, or what they use to succeed, allowing myself the time and space to kind of find out how I can stand up in front of people and be more comfortable. You're absolutely right. It's funny you mentioned about talking and repetition and practice. This can sound like it it's very boring or very monotonous. It doesn't have to be, though, because you can continually pick different topics that you can talk about. So, for example, um, I think it's really important to pick a person in your life that you trust if you're going to learn how to do public speaking, and then you deliver it to them. And here's the key is the person who's listening to this needs to be very gentle with their feedback. They need to be very encouraging at the start. So if you're in this position, if you're being encouraged to listen to someone who's starting out doing public speaking, the last thing you want to do is start picking away at their confidence. They're, they're coming to you. They're being very vulnerable. You want to find what they're doing right. So I would, I would encourage anyone who's seeking out feedback or giving feedback, at the start at least, to really focus on what they're doing correctly, not what they're doing incorrectly. Now, you still want to bring it up eventually, but nothing crushes a person's spirit quite so much like somebody who's delivering a speech for the first time and everyone is writing down all of these notes and then they hand them all over and say, here's all the things you did wrong. And the person goes, good grief, this is so painful and not fun. As opposed to saying, hey, there were two things you did that were amazing in that speech. I love how you opened with a story and I love how you dropped a joke halfway through it kept the energy up. I love that. That's all they need to hear at the start because they're working on it. It's a work in progress. So I think that's important what you're going with. And it's not saying, guys, so important kind of clarification here. It's not about not being genuine or honest. It's about 
maybe recognizing where they are. So if they are starting off, kind of not going on that expert level of critiquing, like really meeting them where they are and being honest with your feedback, but maybe kind of framing it for the situation that it is. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. So for example, a common problem that new public speakers will have is they'll use a lot of ums and ahs when they talk. So I'm just going to use this as an example. So let's say I'm a brand new public speaker and I get up and I start talking. I'm going to talk about the weather and I go, well, um, it's supposed to snow today. Um, uh, now it's a common human condition that we have. And when we say the word, um, we're hoping to continue what we call focus on that person. So I'm saying to you, when I say, um, I'm saying, please don't interrupt me. Please don't take the focus away from me. What they don't realize and what a lot of public speakers don't realize is you have the microphone. There's a spotlight on you and someone else could be talking. No one's going to hear them. So there's no reason to say um or ah. It's different if you're in a conversation. But when you're delivering a speech, there's really no reason to say um or ah. It's, it's a human condition that we, it's a habit. So getting rid of that is, is big. So when you first start public speaking, you will say a lot of ums and ahs. It's human nature. So rather than come out of the gates with criticism and say, you know what? All I heard was ums and ahs. I couldn't even get past the ums and ahs. You got to lose the ums and ahs. That's, that can be devastating for a new public speaker. What I'd rather see the critiquer do is say, you know what? I love the content. Let me ask you, are you aware when you say um or ah? Are you, do, you even he, do you hear it? And a lot of people say, oh, I was not, no idea I heard it. And I know you've mentioned this to me in the past about when you hear yourself being recorded and you hear the recording back, it's completely different than how we heard ourselves in the moment talking. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, about the idea of lo losing the actual mechanics in your speech or talking about the actual mechanics. We, I, I felt like, and I was hoping I structured in such a way that the critiquing was positive rather than coming out of the gates and being negative. It's so funny because <laughs> I just like, as you talk, I'm totally going back through our stories and how you kind of like gave me the feedback and how we kind of built uh, me as a public speaker, to be honest. Uh, but um, um, <laughs> It was really funny because when I first started, I definitely did that. First of all, for me, it was insecurity. I was trying to buy time f to allow myself to think. And what you helped me to discover was that I could do that without putting volume to it. So about breathing about taking my time. That was a really important piece to kind of hold the space and be okay with the silence to gather my thoughts and then present it to people. What I'm laughing here about is once you've seen the behind the curtain of Oz, now every time I go to anything regarding like instructor-led training, public speaker, I am totally baffled by all the mechanics because you pick them apart now. Not saying, like, first of all, I'm not judging other people, but you really pick apart the mechanics of their speech. So now that's the first thing. I listen to a podcast and I'm like, oh my God, the ums, the ahs, it drives me nuts now. And I've never heard it before. You kind of pointed me in that direction. So I think that was the first big thing that I noticed is the more I started to see behind the curtain and realize the pieces that make kind of a good public speaker, the more I was so quick to be able to pick them up in other situations around me. 
Yeah, it's an interesting skill to really listen to people's language and to find out what works. So it's much like a painter would look at a painting and say, you know, like, for example, I was at the Louvre a few years ago in Paris. Pretty awesome. Walked through, saw all these amazing paintings. I'm not an art expert. So I'm looking at this painting and I go, this is beautiful. But if somebody were to grill me on why it's beautiful, I would struggle. I would say, you know what, I... This seems to work for me, but I don't know the terminology. I don't understand why these colors resonate with me. However, if you go to art school for years and years, they break those pieces down. It's the same sort of thing with language. So, for example, if you watch a really good public speaker like a Steve Jobs or if you watch TED Talks, there are some commonalities that they will do that poor public speakers uh, do not do or, or vice versa. There are things that the public speakers do not do that poor speakers do. And it's little things like, for example, when you say a word that has a P in it, there's a way to say a P into a microphone without saying P that pops the P. So that's a common one. Um, there's words that you can say without umming and awing. There's uh, certain people have great speaking voices, just a low timber to a speaking voice. They, they feel powerful. Another one that not a lot of people know is that a common, a common trait when you public speak is to speak at about 90% of speed, maybe even a little bit less, maybe even 85 or 80% of speed if you're delivering something that's complicated. I love what you said earlier about the silence. The, the, one of my mentors told me when I was first learning how to do public speaking, they told me that the silence was the sound of other people learning. That was the sound of them learning, and I love that. You'll notice really good public speakers will also repeat key phrases, sticky phrases that are in your mind. So, you know, and I just, ha I've done it over the years just habitually. Like I just said before, the sound of people learning, that's, I repeated that just because that's worth, I think that's worth repeating. And it's funny because that's one of the pieces that I struggled with the most. I was like, oh my God, curl. They heard me three times already. <laughs> you know, I don't need to repeat it. But you broke it down into such a way that I understood because guys just think of when you're in a classroom or think of when you're in a lecture. I want to say that we're present 24 seven, but we're not. Sometimes our mind wanders. So by repeating yourself, you're allowing those people who just wandered for a second to catch up because there's nothing worse than hearing someone speak, dazing off for a second, which is human nature, and then not being able to catch up because you have no idea what they're talking about. So you kind of granted me that kind of behind the scene look of, wait a second, look at yourself in a learning situation or a listening situation and realize that sometimes you, you do just get distracted for a second. So that repetition allows people to catch and understand and follow you along that path. Yeah, it, you're, you're absolutely right. One of the pieces that's really key with that kind of drifting off, the listener will often drift off and, or get distracted, especially in this day and age with phones. If you're doing a webinar, for example, we can't see that the person maybe is competing with television or a screaming kid in the background or the doorbell rings. So repeating key phrases is a, is a very, I think, a key part to, to either doing training or presenting. It also reinforces your message as well. So I want to give you a quick example of that. So let's, uh, let's pretend that we're talking about, you know, New York City, okay? So I'm delivering a speech about New York City. Now, if you doze off during the first three seconds of it and you miss me saying the word New York, the rest of it is going to be completely confusing because now I'm saying, and I love this city. This city is amazing. I love all the sights and sounds. I love the library. I love the harbor. It's an amazing city. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. 
And you're thinking the entire time, what city is he talking about? And then you're totally distracted, focused on (laughs) trying to figure out what they were talking about. Absolutely. So another way to structure it when you're delivering that speech would be, you know what? I love New York. New York is one of the greatest cities in the world. I love the New York Harbor. I love downtown New York. I love Yankee Stadium. So even if somebody wasn't paying attention, they, oh, Yankee Stadium. I know that's in New York City. So there's, there's little repetitions that you can, you can repeat. And what I want the listener to do if they're interested in becoming a good public speaker is to really watch public speakers on YouTube or late night television is a really good example where people will repeat key phrases because they know the listener at home is distracted. They're probably putting their kids to bed. They're listening with half an ear. They might be checking their phone or playing a computer game. So repeating those key phrases, I think, is really important. And you also just touched on another big thing that you kind of promoted to me when I was trying to learn how to approach the situation is listening to other speakers. And that to me is what kind of, it allowed me to understand what I was trying to achieve when I talked to people. So listening to other people and starting to pick out things that I really liked about people when they talked. Or I remember when you first asked me, who do I like speaking? And I kind of said it. And then you're like, why? And I'm like, I felt good. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all I could come up with. But now after kind of being able to pick really why I like them, for me, that allowed me to come to the conclusion. Like, first of all, and I will say, this is always on repeat, how amazing you are, Carl, at public speaking. You're phenomenal. I've always been like you just capture my ear. Like you you know how to, to deliver a story and in a classroom you should see him. Like honestly, it's an art. But what you've helped me realize is that maybe I'm not that speaker. So I'm I don't have that fine polish. Maybe I'll get there. Who knows? But I don't have that fine polish. But what I found out through listening to other people, what I value right now and what I kind of tried to seek is that emotional realness. So it wasn't robotic. It was emotion, inflection in how I'm saying stuff and really being real and honest with people. So observing people allowed me then to realize that, oh, it's it's when people are real with me as a speaker or a teacher or when people engage and really kind of get a little bit vulnerable with me, that's when I like a speaker. That's what I'm drawn to. So that's then what I try to do in a class or in a setting where I need to deliver a speech. Yeah. And I love what you said about, well, aside from the compliment, thank you. (laughs) um, I I love what you said about uh, listening to other speakers talk. Um, One of the tips that I utilized early on in my career as a public speaker was listening, you know, for example, I'd call up a YouTube video about a subject I really enjoyed. And I would listen to the public speaker talk and I would digest the content. But here's where I got a little bit of growth. Here's where I grew a, a tiny bit. I then picked a YouTube video about something that I was not passionate about. So something that I really didn't care about. And what it, what it forced me to do was not really care about the content. I only listened to the delivery. And now you could also do this by watching the same video twice. Mm -hmm. So you could pick a really great speech about something you're very passionate about and then watch it a second time. Now, you know the content already, so you can discard that mentally and you can focus only on the delivery. And and you'll notice 
things come to light a second time. You know, really good public speakers, for example, will ask the audience rhetorical questions. It's like they're talking to you personally, even though they might have a thousand people in the audience. So rather than making the, f the focus on me and me just delivering the speech, I'm making it about you. So I start off the conversation, and it's a conversation, even though it's a, I'm on a podium in front of 100 or 200 people, I start off with a question. So I could start off my speech by saying, hey, guys, let me ask you a question. Well, now that's got your, now that's got your interest. Let me ask you guys a question. How many people here love baking chili? And oh, okay, where is he going with this, right? People are wondering, right? And, and rather than me just coming up to the start and saying, I'm going to be delivering a chili recipe, and then half the audience falls asleep. You know, I can, I can form it in such a way that I'm asking you a question, and we're hardwired to hear questions and want to answer them. We want to solve things in our head. So me presenting a half a story at the start of the speech and then finishing that other half at the end of the speech, that's a great, it's almost a, it's almost, I don't want to say it's a cheap way, but it's an easy way to get people to buy in because they have to hear the end of the story. So I could open up with a great anecdote, but I don't finish the anecdote. I leave it hanging. And then people go, oh, I really wanted to leave, but I have to hear how this story ends. And so they'll hang out and they'll listen to the speech. So there's a, there's a few, I don't want to call them cheap fixes, but there's some easy wins that you can do as a public speaker in that regard. And before we wrap up the session, I really think, like, let's go through those, some tips and tricks that we've learned over the years to maybe pass on. But before we go there, I want to ask you, especially somebody who is a successful public speaker, let's talk about what makes a good speaker. What are some things that the individual can do that actually makes, when you're listening to somebody, what do you go, hmm, wow, that's good. Sure. So I think that's a great question. I think you're probably going to be asked to present at some point in your life. It could be a work presentation. It could be at a funeral. It could be at a social function like a Christmas party and they want you to get up and have a speech. You don't give a speech. Or a wedding and MC. Could MC a <laughs> wedding. Exactly, right? So there's a lot of you know high-pressure situations that we may find ourselves in. There are commonalities to all of these. So I, whether it's a business-related event or whether it's a life-related event, there's some, there's some common things that you can employ that will, on the whole, make your speech better. One of them is to add emotion to everything that you're saying. So, for example, if, if I was talking about, let's pick the most boring subject in the world, and so no offense to mathematicians, but let's assume that we were engineers and we were discussing blueprints, okay? And I had to tell you how to, I was giving a speech on how to properly, properly draw drafts for architects or engineers, okay? Most people would go, oh my goodness, that's going to be a tough sell to an audience. How do you keep them engaged? Well, what you do is you start by going over what's the worst case scenario. Well, that's pretty scary. That's an emotion. Maybe go over the best case scenario. That's a great emotion. So I could start out, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but I could start off by saying, you know what? Drafting blueprints for architecture is the only thing keeping us from having a building collapsing and killing 400 people. Well, holy, what a, what a great way to start a speech. Now everybody's invested. If I don't listen to this guy, my clients could die someday. I mean, it's a dramatic example, but hey, why not? You're in front of 400 people. Let's make it worth their time. So you can really add emotion to what you're saying. Yeah, and the emotion piece, like I said, that's the piece that I kind of took away that I was like, that's, that's what I like. That's what I'm drawn to. I like it when I can sit in an audience and 
I'm feeling something. I'm part of the journey. I feel like I'm actually so present with them along what they're painting for me. Like that emotion piece is huge. Another tip that's a pretty easy win, I think, for new public speakers is avoiding what I call list speak. So if I were to ask you, what are you going to do today? Chances are, if you were to answer that question, what are you going to do today? You would say, you would, you would go into a list. You'd say, well, I'm going to go get groceries and I'm going to fill up the car and I'm going to watch TV and I'm going to feed the cat. And that's list speak. So notice the end of my sentence every time is going, eh, it's that tone. And as soon as people hear that tone, they immediately fall asleep. They go into a coma. So we want to avoid that. So one of the great things you can do as a public speaker is end your sentences. Pause in between speaking. It gives you weight to when you're speaking. You can enunciate your words. So if I were to answer that question again, what am I doing today? I would, number one, add some emotion to it. Number two, I would enunciate. And number three, I would make it uh, final. I would finalize my sentences. So I would say, you know what? I have a great day planned today. I am so excited about the tasks I have to do today. First, I'm going to go get groceries. This is going to be awesome. I'm so looking forward to getting out of the house and getting some cereal. I haven't had cereal in three weeks. So just notice, see the emotion he's actually tying on to that list. Exactly. It's not about the facts. It's about how those facts are affecting me and therefore how they're affecting you as a listener. Next, I got to go over and cat sit for a friend of mine. I'm really looking forward to that. Or, hey, oh, I'm, I'm terrified of that cat. That cat is so scary. Oh, Now, if I'm listening to this in the audience, I'm thinking, oh, he's telling me a story. The story is the person's struggle or the person overcoming the struggle or the humor therein. So there's a lot of different ways you can present what appears to be boring information and you can present it in an exciting way. And see, that's what I would say would be an engaging speaker. So somebody's engaging me. So they're, yes, delivering a story, which I find it's easier to buy in when someone's telling me a story. But also, like you mentioned earlier, you're asking the questions. You're kind of bringing the emotion. It's, I almost want to associate it with dancing. Like, I really feel a good public speaker. It's, yeah, it's beautiful to watch. It's like a dance in a way. Absolutely. So work on, uh, another tip is to work on eliminating vague words. Don't say they, it, him her use the actual word and what this and this is going to be uncomfortable I know I know Jillian you can talk about this a little bit as well because I remember when we were starting our journey together it was it's tough to repeat the same word so if I was to talk about chili recipes for example I would say you know what today guys we're going to talk about chili recipes I love chili recipes what is it about chili that makes it so wonderful is it that chili has nutritional value now notice i'm just repeating the same word over and over again now it's going to feel unnatural at first and i know you mentioned that when we first started yeah and that's what i was talking about earlier i felt it was so forward i was like why are you doing it <laughs> but then as soon as you kind of you know brought me around to be like hold on a second look at yourself from the learner perspective and remember how you are in that moment and how distracted you get like you said earlier we're fighting against so many gadgets nowadays, it's hard to stay present all of the time. So you're almost respecting the audience enough to kind of leave them little breadcrumbs along where you're going so that they can catch up at any time they actually tune in and are present. 
Now, this one's a bit tricky. This is maybe kind of an intermediate tip, I think. If you're presenting in front of a really large group of people, the audience will be in audience mode. If you're presenting in front of a small group of people, they may be in audience mode or they may be in conversational mode, and that's a different mode. So be aware of your venue. If, you're going, if I was to go into an auditorium with 500 people, chances are I would not be asking them to actually answer questions. Now, there are situations where that happens. You'll see sometimes really good public speakers will get everyone in the auditorium, just all stand up, all sit down, turn to your neighbor and talk to them. They will give them direction, but they're not saying, hey, Mary in the third row, what city are you from? And they're actually asking for an answer. Now, sometimes it happens, but it happens much more in a smaller setting. And why is that, Carl? Why would people refrain from asking somebody in the audience of, say, a 500 people auditorium from asking them a specific question? Sure. So it could happen. So I don't want anyone to be listening and thinking that it's not allowed or it's somehow taboo. That's not the case. When you're presenting in front of eight or nine or 10 people, relatively small group, you can basically connect with every single one of them one-on-one -on -one during the course of your speech. At some point, you could look at them, wink at them, nod at them, share, it, share a, a moment with them. With 500 people, it becomes very um, alienating. So if I were up in front of 500 people and I looked out and I saw Jillian in the audience, she's sitting in the second row, and I said, you know, ma'am, you know, what city are you from? And she answers. Well, now her and I are having a private conversation in front of 499 other unwitting suspects and they're going why am i here to listen to them talk to each other whereas when you're in a room with 10 people if you break off for 10 seconds and talk to someone one-on-one -on -one, the other people still feel like they're somewhat included it's you're more apt to say you know what i'm going to come around to each and every one of you throughout the course of this speech and discuss things with you one-on-one -on -one, to an extent and what i mean by this would be you start talking about a subject and you say now has anybody ever had this happen now, if you, if you open up your speech with that and you're in front of 500 people, has anyone ever had this happen? You know, you're on an airline and all the bathrooms are full. Has anyone ever experienced this? With, with 500 people, you're going to get general chuckles of, of laughter and nods. If you're in a room of 10 people, someone might say, yes, that has happened to me. Well, that's a whole lot different now. Someone is actively answering your question and you need to be prepared for that. And that's fine if that's the case. So what I'm hearing from you is that it's really important to kind of read your audience and know kind of the situation that you're in. Yeah, exactly. You don't necessarily want to speak at the audience. And so let's use the example of the 500 person auditorium, really good public speakers. It feels like they're interacting with each and every one of them. They'll, they'll walk around the room. They'll physically talk to them. They'll look at all the corners of the room. They'll mention something in the moment. So for example, if I was going to another city and I was speaking at a conference, I would mention that city in the opening. You know, it's so exciting to be here in Pittsburgh. I've never been here before. I spent the afternoon walking around down by the water, and I would mention the name of the river. They go, oh, this guy is really here. He's in the moment. He's not just delivering a stock speech. He's here now. Because that's a big deal. And that's one of the things. Like, that's one of the things I could pick up on really quickly that I didn't like. I didn't like that robotic talk. I didn't like feeling that somebody was too stiff. And that comes from, you just nailed it. It's about being present, speaking to the audience right there. It's not about delivering that exact same speech that you gave in another city. 
yeah, there's a there's a real palpable energy to a crowd of people, and you can kind of rev up that engine a little bit. You can tell some jokes. You can get the energy fired up. You can get them scared or excited or happy. You can play with those emotions, and it revs up the audience. And then you also want to deliver your content as well, and that cools down your audience. Unless you're talking about the most exciting thing in the world, you know. I mean, I was at a, a charity function recently where children that we were announcing that these children were going to Disneyland. It was an amazing experience. Well, we don't, it's an easy sell. You don't need to keep them engaged, but I'll tell you, as we go through the daily, the minute by minute minutia of what the day is going to entail. Wow. Some of these kids were getting a little bit bored because they're kids. They're sitting in an auditorium. We just told them they're going to Disneyland. And now you're going to spend the next 45 minutes hearing about backpacks and security checks. Ugh. How do you make that fun? How do you make that engaging? So even the most exciting topic in the world could be boring, and the most boring topic in the world could be exciting. It all depends on how you deliver it. And so that sounds like, and <laughs> I've been doing this for years now, but I'm just remembering when I was brand new, and that that's what sounded so intimidating to me, to realize it's on me a little bit. So, you know, we talked about some of the things that really make that great speaker, like the engaging, kind of basically confidence if you wrap it up, um, not muttering, always putting emotion to it, repeating. But I'm just remembering how it was when I first started out. So let's pretend our listeners here have never spoken an audience before. Let's go into trainer mode, Carl, sure. <laughs> and give them some tangible things that they can do for the basic level. Where to start? What would they do? Sure. So what you'll want to do is you'll want to take your, your ask. So someone has asked you to do something. So let's pick a real life example. Let's say I need to emcee a wedding, for example. Okay. It's terrifying, right? You've never emceed a wedding before. You have to get up in front of friends and family and you need to talk about the bride and the groom and you need to get names right and it can be overwhelming. So the first thing you want to do is sit down and figure out what is the ask. What are your roles and responsibilities? How long are you going to be speaking for? Who's your audience? And that's the biggest number one thing I can impart. Know your audience. What is your function? Okay. You always want to get up to the, to the mic and speak with a purpose. So what is my role here? Am I here to train? Am I here to ask? Am I here to inform? These are all things that you want to get down before you start. So once you get the mission down, you get your critical mission statement written down. My job is to entertain the crowd, make sure to introduce speakers at the wedding, make sure that, you know, so I would go through all of what the MC entails. From there, I would then work on what I have control over. So I would work on my key speeches, my key moments that I need to go up and deliver. And when I do that, I would want to make sure that I factually get things correct. So I get the sign off from the bride and the groom that this is okay to talk about. And then I add emotion to it. I ask the audience maybe the occasional question. I, I get in the moment with them. So, for example, I'm going to write my speech for the MC wedding that I'm going to do a year from now. But I'm going to leave it flexible, 75% complete, because the day of, I'm going to reference the actual wedding. I don't know what that detail will entail until the day of. And then I will get up there and I'll say, wasn't that an amazing wedding when, you know, such and such happened? And I'll mention it in the moment. Everyone will go, yeah, he's talking about a situation that we all just shared as a, as a group. So but that would be an easy win as a news public speaker. So what I'm hearing, so let's reiterate that back 
because I heard 75%, let's just say, let's put that number to it. So meaning a lot of being a successful speaker is about the preparation. Absolutely. Practicing the speeches, practicing the content. You don't want to over-practice. You don't want to get to the point where it becomes rote and you're just simply reading. You want to live it in the moment. And that's the toughest thing. If you have to deliver repetitive training or a repetitive presentation, if you ever go on YouTube and you look up a stand-up comedian and you watch anybody deliver their stand-up comedy, chances are they've delivered that hundreds of times. But it doesn't look like it. It looks like they just thought up that joke in the moment and everyone goes, what a brilliant comedian. He's written that joke down eight years ago and he's delivered it night after night after night for years. But it looks spontaneous. That's the key to a really successful presentation is to know what you're going to say in advance and then deliver it as if you just thought it up. But I'm new, Carl. How do I do that? That sounds crazy to me. (laughs) Well, repetition is the key. So I will say for any successful speech that you want to deliver, you'll want to practice at a minimum of 10 times. So you'll want to go into a room by yourself and you'll want to read it out loud. I love what you said earlier. It will feel awkward to read it out loud. You'll want to read through the speech out loud and then eventually pull one other person in to deliver that speech to a person that you know and trust and say, how does this sound? They, the person who's given critiquing should say if you're going too fast or too slow. Are you using ums and ahs? Did it make sense? Was it entertaining? Is your voice too high or too low? So another common thing I, I failed to mention is that when we get nervous, our voice tends to go up. So talking at 90%, breathing deeply, taking three really deep breaths before you go out on stage, and then talking purposefully and slowly I guarantee you with the adrenaline you're feeling, it will it will cancel out and you'll be speaking at normal speed. Which is, yeah, it's funny to me because if, you, well, sometimes even on this podcast, I go into mini mouse land. <laughs> I always go up that octave. But yeah, I find that really hard sometimes. And I find it when I'm being more present with myself, it's easier to kind of breed and wind yourself down. And you can even see it's almost like coming from a guttural sound versus like, because I'm so excited and I'm just riddling something off. But I want to go back for a second. And I just, because I know I mentioned it at the beginning too, about the benefits of really talking out loud. But I said, because it's practicing, but can you go into that? Why? Sell somebody, sell me. Why should I actually physically say something out loud? Sure. So we tend to think much, much, much quicker than we speak. So that means that if I'm talking at 90% speed, my brain is running faster. It's like a horse galloping off and I'm holding onto the reins going, oh no, the horse is getting away from me. So when you rehearse something, say 10 times, I'm just throwing out 10, could be five, could be 50. I don't, whatever the, you know, it depends how complicated the speech is. When you rehearse that, it then moves to another part of your brain where you're no longer actively thinking about it. So for example, there are things that I'm doing right now when I'm speaking. For example, ending my sentences on a down note. So I end, I end my, sp- my sentence by going down, almost always. Uh, I, I, uh, I do that on purpose. I've been doing it on purpose for years. I no longer actively have to think about it, but I did at the start. I would have a note when I was speaking, and I would have a note saying, end your sentences on the down note. So for example, instead of list talk, oh, today I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, I, wouldn't, I would have a note saying, don't do that. End with authority. Slow your speech down. Leave 
silence. These are things that you have to maybe make a note when you're rehearsing so that when it gets to the part where you have to actually give the speech, you're no longer actively thinking about those things. You've ingrained it in your psyche enough that it becomes second nature. And that's awesome advice. And I'm going to add to that because I can remember listening to you give me advice and being like, oh, there's so much I have to kind of do to be successful. Yeah. It's a lot like golf. When you stand up and take your first golf swing and everyone's saying, okay, stand here and pivot here and look. And by the end of it, the ball goes five yards and you're going, this is terrible. I hate this. You have to practice enough that you're no longer consciously thinking about all the little tweaks that you do in a golf swing. It's very similar to that. So one thing you were really good were kind of helping me with is setting attainable goals. Okay. So maybe not coming out of the gate with every single thing you need to fix. You were really good with helping me set that for myself. Well, this time I'm going to really practice that three time rule. Okay. That's what this month really is going to be for me. Sure. And and I I don't know that we've gone over the three time rule in any great detail in this Mm -hmm. podcast. So I'll just give a quick quick re- or maybe a recap or a quick refresher if you haven't heard of the three rule it's basically that when you're doing public speaking you want to mention something especially if it's a new concept you want to mention it three times so for a, i'll just use a quick example let's i'm sitting next to a because we're in a studio here i'm sitting next to some musical instruments so let's talk about drums for an example okay i want to talk about the toms the tom toms on the drums now when i talk about the tom toms on the drums they're going to go either from right to left or left to right it's really important when you're discussing toms that you dis- that you find out from the person who's going to be drumming if they're left-handed or right-handed. Okay, now that's my example. Now, if you go back and listen to that example again, I said the word tom-toms three times, and I used the same concept three different times. The first time is to introduce the concept. The second time that I say the word tom-tom is to impart the actual learning. The third time I say tom-tom, it's to reinforce the idea of the message. It's to give you confirmation so that you can say, oh, okay, I've learned it now. I can move that into the box of my learned experience because we're thinking about the learning as we're learning it. We're going, is that what he wanted? Is that the end zone? Is that the goal? We're saying, yes, that's the goal. File this one away. You learned it. And the thing I liked about that one, like we mentioned earlier, is that for people who get distracted, you're allowing them to come in in the middle of it and still continue on and understand what you're talking about. So if someone's not as present, so it's it's so it's so funny because it was probably one of the things you tried to sell me that I was the most reluctant to. And it's now probably one of the biggest things that I would pitch because it has such an overall effective quality about it. Absolutely. Uh, let's use a really, uh, I'll just use another quick example on that one. Let's, let's pick the, one of the most boring things I can think of, which is tying your shoes. Okay. So if I was to tell you how to tie your shoes, I'll, t- I'll do 20 seconds of super boring and then I'll hopefully do a more exciting example. So the super boring example would say, grab your shoe, put your foot inside the shoe and you're going to grab one lace with one hand and one lace with the other hand. And you're going to, and by this point, people are going, this is awful. I mean, I'm hating every minute of this, right? So you can, you can make it more exciting by using the three rule, by going back to it again and again, resetting anchor points throughout the instructions. So for example, okay, here, so here's, here's my example. Uh, okay, guys, we're going to learn how to tie your shoes today. So what I want you to do is go pick your favorite pair of sneakers and I want you to put the sneaker on your right foot. 
Okay, now remember, you're going to grab the sneaker and put it on your right foot. Everyone's doing that? I'm going to double check that everyone's doing that? Wonderful. Okay, so you've all got your sneaker on your right foot. Wonderful. Now you're going to grab the la one lace with your left hand. You're going to grab the other lace with your right hand. Okay, can I see everybody's got that? Wonderful. Now, you're going to cross the laces over. Now, quick recap. You've got a sneaker on your foot. You've got one lace in your left hand. You've got one lace in your right hand. So see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm revisiting the same concept again and again so that it's like stopping and starting. It's like you're, it's kind of like when you brush with a paintbrush. You don't just brush once. You brush back and forth, back and forth. So it's visually, imagine the words are brushing back and forth. You're going back and revisiting an old piece that's 10 seconds old and you're bringing it forward with a brush and then you're going back and you're brushing again. So you might do two or three passes on the same concept throughout your 45 or 50 second uh, speech. There's so fascinating, right? Like the more we kind of learn about it, I feel there's so much more to learn as well to get better. And kind of as the levels, as you move up in a level, there's kind of a different piece you want to take on. So I think we've started today. We're giving you some amazing tips and tricks, kind of just to like practice breathing and kind of going a little bit slow, like Carl really sold the repeating everything in threes, maybe being really engaging. I love that emotion piece of it. So we gave you lots of tangible goods today, hopefully, that you can take away and kind of start the ball rolling. I know it's a really scary thing. Trust me, when I first started, it was fight or flight. <laughs> like, well, then let me ask you this. Bad. Now that you've done it for years, do you enjoy, is it a piece of your life that you enjoy? Like I, I get the feeling now, like if we were at a party and somebody said, Jillian, give a speech. I actually feel like instead of you thinking, oh my goodness, somebody's asking me to speak. I think you'd actually embrace it and say, this is actually an enjoyable part of my life. It's a thrilling piece of my world now. Yeah. It definitely started off though, as a lot of anxiety. Like I remember the first day of that kind of position and having to teach right away. And it was like, success is not throwing up in front of everybody and success is not running out the door. So I think because though, so once again, bringing it back to, I put the time and effort in. I got my mentor. I got, I like, fortunately in my situation, I was given the mentor, but I put effort in that relationship. I put effort in myself practicing. I put effort into getting better. And because I took that scary, scary thing, I broke it up into things I can do to make it better. You just nailed it. Now, if somebody asked me to do something, maybe I wouldn't throw up on the spot. I'd throw up later because <laughs> I was so nervous, but I would be able to to conduct myself because I put the time and effort in. So I guess the big thing I'm trying to sell here is as overwhelming and as scary as something can be, the more we practice and the more energy we can kind of put into something, the better and more enjoyable something can actually become. I love that. What a perfect way to end. Wonderful. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode on public speaking. And as always, we would love to hear from you. We have a Facebook page set up. It's called Power Yourself. And we encourage you to like us, follow us, maybe even ask a question. We would love to get your feedback. Please leave a comment. So we encourage you to get involved. So that's it for today's episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. I'm Carl. I'm Jill. And thank you so much for watching. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs>